What about chumps? Don't you want someone to care about you? What about chumps? Don't let it slip away. We are here. We're just, you keep up in the bar every week, Danny. Every day, every day. A little bit higher, a little bit higher. What's going on, chumps? Welcome to the Chumps and Champs Fantasy Football Podcast. Today's Monday, August 17th. Scott, Matt, and Danny are all here. What's going on, guys? We're getting closer and closer to draft I can, season. I can smell the drafts now. Mm. I can smell them. I don't even know what to do every day. I'm just getting more antsy. More excited, more excited. A lot of drafts are this upcoming weekend, and I think isn't it National Fantasy Football Draft Weekend is like the 29th or something. I don't know about that, but the, yes, this is the prime weekend. This is the weekend you should be drafting, especially this if is... there was the, the usual preseason games going on. This would have been what week three in the preseason, and that's that's the right time to draft. Who guys? Who who retires this year? Oh, oh in the middle the of the draft, right in the middle of draft day. <laughs> Tom Brady. <laughs> no. I don't know. I, I'm going to go with none, but we'll see. It'll be right during Keith's pick. <laughs> no, it don't matter no, who it like is. Three picks after Keith. <laughs> That's right. That's more accurate. Um, some news, though, this week, the past couple of days, even this morning, there's been some news about specific players. Um, first things first. Cowboys defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, who is a longtime Tampa Bay Buck. Last year, he was a Carolina Panther, but great defensive tackle. Torres quad tendon in practice and is requiring surgery, and he's going to be out the entire year. Doesn't that sound just awful? I, I, Which I didn't know that was a thing. Because <laughs> some of them aren't as big as the other ones. Not right? that big of a deal. They thought he uh, <laughs> tore his uh, ACL or something. They're like, no, it's a quad, t- quad tendon tear. I'm like, that just... <laughs> Some men are bigger than others. Uh, oh God. Um, AJ Green left practice today with an apparent hamstring injury, but they're they're downplaying it as pretty mild. But if you hear AJ Green and leg injury, that has to raise a couple of eyebrows. Or does it for you guys? That, do you guys care? Uh, I still like him this year in fantasy, and I'll let him slip down the draft boards another round or two because uh, of that news especially if that lingers throughout this weekend. But it sounds like he wasn't scared about it. He didn't look like he was phased by it. I think he's going to be fine. And I'm, I mean, let's be honest, we're looking at him as a third receiver, fourth receiver that you can put in your flex spot and just blow it up on week. So you're not looking at him to be a star anyway. So even if he's, let's say, out for a week or two at the beginning, that's no problem. He's still got value. Yeah, I believe we got him as our wide receiver four in the podcaster league, right? That's not yeah, bad. Yep. Yeah, that's fine. We'll take it. Nick Chubb got tackled uh, by his neck today at practice. His neck tackled him? His neck just done tackled him. <laughs> no, some guy, I forget who, tackled him way high. and Some rookie trying off. to make his bones. That's what we said. And he got taken off, not carry. He, got, he walked off with his trainer, and he may go into concussion protocol. They're evaluating him for concussion-like symptoms to see if he has any. And if they think, oh, yeah, you need to go in the protocol, then he goes in the concussion protocol. Doesn't sound like that big of a deal. If it but, does, who you uh, he, what is with the like ambiguity of like he may go into concussion protocol? Like if there's a cha- like why isn't he just in concussion protocol right now? I don't know. I don't I don't know if you get put in the protocol if it makes a you have to pass X amount of things, but that's what it's there for, right? <laughs> this exact thing when you get your head taken off in practice. Yeah. Why yeah. there's a uh, protocol? If that happens, uh who, who you guys hunting for in the draft oh we didn't even uh, wait for the rankings I loved it. Oh. goodness yeah i i was just telling matt before the show like this doesn't do much for my nick chubb like status but no, it does a lot for my kareem hunt status so i have no <laughs> idea why those two things don't match up um the ravens are hosting des bryant for a workout love it do you that that is if the news stays just like that, I don't think that makes Des Bryant like a really attractive pick anywhere in the draft. But what he makes it for me is that last round flyer pick. If there's not like a really high upside rookie available that I like, yeah, I'm taking Des Bryant with just the outside hope that, yeah, they signed him and he's their wide receiver one in Baltimore. Scott, Des Bryant in that same scenario that Matt just put out for us, 
or Antonio Brown, who you know is going to be eight games suspended? Who would you take with the very last pick, Mr. Irrelevant, in a fantasy draft? So this is before we even know Dez is getting signed and playing? Correct. And we, we don't know Tony, the same thing But we don't know Antonio if he's... Brown. I mean, I would go with Dez because... Yeah. you're. I would hate to hold a quote-unquote flyer on my bench for eight weeks. That's... And suspended, he cannot go in your IR slot. Yeah. That's, That's a big change. Yeah. If he could go in your IR spot, would you, put him, you pick him up then, though? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. The Chiefs expect 16,000 fans for their home opener on September 10th. And 14,000 uh, cases of Corona. Does this sound <laughs> like kind of a lofty goal? Like, I was going to say, I was going to propose to you guys the question of why, but I think money is the answer to that question. But still, doesn't it seem in this climate to be a little reckless? There is something to be said about a fan atmosphere. And if you can pull it off safely, that's, that's going to be good for the sport and the product. But what I want is football to happen and I want it to at least be on TV. And if they ruin that by trying to push fans in the stand, I'm not going to be happy. I understand City, what they're trying I to swear to God, <laughs> be safe about it is all I'm saying. They said that's 22% of their capacity. And that number like means something. I don't know why 22% is what their goal was. And I think their capacity is like 72,000 or something. So they expect 16,000. How do you get him in there while distancing? I mean, good luck. Very carefully. <laughs> and I'm assuming everyone has to have a mask, but you know what? At this point, why assume anything? Um, the last bit of news I want to throw out there. Let's all give a big round of applause for Alex Smith. Activated off of Washington's pup list. Just unbelievable, right? After what happened to his leg. That's crazy. I mean, it might not mean a lot for fantasy purposes. Maybe it will eventually, but that's just, that's just awesome. I that honestly might make it a relevant quarterback contest right away. That's what they're talking. Like, he could certainly would. make it a competition, which does that. I mean, honestly, if he gets a starting job, I mean, McLaurin goes up in my book for sure. McLaurin is huge to me if he gets a starting job. I think he's going to also shoot up draft boards because, yeah, Haskins is nothing near what Alex Smith can do as a. Yeah, he always gets a tag of game manager, but he's also good. His stats are always great in uh, fantasy and just football in general. So he'll be able to get McClure in the ball when he needs it. Do you think if he takes one step on that field, he automatically gets comeback player of the year, even if he throws a pick six and doesn't come back on the field? <laughs> just comeback player of the year because you almost died of sepsis? In my book, he does. <laughs> yeah. I, get, I don't know. I don't I couldn't tell you who any comeback player is. Does it matter? Well, today's going to be a good show, guys. We're going to go over our tight end rankings. We're also going to go over kickers and defenses. Don't sound like the sexiest of categories, but the champs are going to give you kind of the breakdown on how we view kickers and defenses in leagues, not only leagues, but in drafts, and how to go about optimizing value in those positions more so than individual kickers. We're not going to break down our top 12 kickers or anything like that. What do we always say, Danny? We always say don't matter. tight ends, kickers, and defenses win championships. That's right. Every day. Wake up. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> um, remember, you can go to chumpsandchampspodcast.com. Look at our rankings and follow along with them there. Our articles and past shows are there as well. But let's get right to it, guys. Tight end number one, consensus number one for the champs is Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs. Directly behind Travis Kelsey is George Kittle. And I believe me and Scott have Travis Kelsey at number one and Kittle at two. And Matt has some flip-flop. Kittle at one. Kelsey at two. Go ahead, Scott. I'll be honest. I have them pretty much even. And you obviously can't do that in a ranking. And the more I think about it, I might take Kittle before mm. Kelsey. There we so go. I draft you day. have brought this up before the show because then I would have I, said George Kittle is number one. I was Eric. just talking to it or about it with our buddy before this. I'm like, if someone said you get one here, I go, I might go Kittle. No, I'll wait till we start recording before you derail <laughs> Danny's whole list. But I like to keep you on your toes. So elaborate on this, Scott. So what is your thinking? A lot of people are back and forth between Kelsey and Kittle. So what has taken Kittle and put him higher than Kelsey? And it could be the slimmest of margins, but what do you love about Kittle? It is. It's, it's absolutely that. It's 
they, I mean, I, there's nothing that would logically say Kelsey shouldn't be number one. He's done it for what five straight years. He's been the number one yeah, tight end. Tight end number so, one for four straight years. Yeah, four straight. Yeah. So you can't. There's. I have nothing against him. I just think that Kittle has been rising the last couple seasons, and with the offense, he's. They've got less weapons in San Francisco, and they and lost another one today. Did you they that? really? Jalen Hurd uh, on like number their like third wide receiver or something tore his ACL today. Oh boy! Well, I mean, I just don't think they have as many weapons, and it's with a run first offense, you can always fake the run, dump to your tight end a little more seamlessly. I mean, Kelsey is probably a little better in the routes and deep passes, but especially if you're in a half PPR, full PPR, I think Kittle is going to get more receptions and have equal touchdowns, if not more, which obviously translates to big points in fantasy. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally on the Kittle bus here. Um, the, the thing I think Kelsey has working for him is he, he's, he had more targets last year, had more, well, I guess, obviously targets per game, uh, more yards per reception even. Uh, just because that offense is a lot more pass heavy, but Kittle is still on the second highest scoring offense in the NFL this year. And I think he's younger and the way he plays after the catch just really intrigues me. He doesn't shy away from contact. He runs with determination and he's just a lot more fun to watch than Kelsey. So that's what puts him number one in my eyes, in my heart. Mm-hmm. Kittle wins it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Kelsey. Obviously, the recent history has made him number one, and that's not going to go on forever. But Matt, you touched on this. I think Patrick Mahomes in that passing offense is going to be vibrant again, and I think Kelsey's a big part of that. He, yeah, he got 136 targets last year. I mean, Kittle had 136 targets in 2018, so he could do it as well. I think Kelsey runs more routes than Kittle. Also, running more routes, getting all those targets. History proves he's the tight end number one. That's why I have him up there, but you can't go wrong. Now, the question becomes, Kelsey Kittle, yeah, that's fine, but are either of you boys interested in these tight ends in reality at fantasy drafts, knowing that their ADP is late second round? Are you guys, if you're going at the top there, that one, two, three, even four range, are you thinking about either one of these tight ends real in your drafts yeah i think uh kelsey and kittle they will make their value here and they are very intriguing early in the draft it's tough for me to take a tight end that early but i see them go off the board and then i see players like mark andrews Ertz, Walder, higby there's just not the upside with those guys so if i see kelsey and kittle go i'm waiting a while because there's a huge drop off after these two guys i'd agree i would agree to s- agree to some degree and oh nice but- yeah, I like that. Uh, but at the same time, and I am drafting at the top of the draft that I know where I'm going to be. So I'm honestly thinking there's so much depth at quarterback, but I also think that, I don't know, I just, I've never been comfortable taking a tight end with my second pick. So I feel like I'd be more likely to take one of the top two quarterbacks if they're there at the end of the second than I would one of the tight ends just because it's it's a bigger point cash value in some leagues. And I don't know, after those, I mean, those, those top two quarterbacks are obviously just so sexy when it comes to the draft. I will, for anybody who wants to go that route and thinks that it's too scary, we have played in a league with a guy who took tight end, tight end at the one-two turn and won that league. And this is a competitive league. So it's, it's not crazy to take tight ends early, especially if you have a tight end eligible flex. And I think the year he did it was Gronk and Graham, right? Huge yeah, they had to be both it, yeah. And he just, not only did he take tight ends off the board for other people to use in just their tight end slide, he could use both of them in monster weeks every week in fantasy. So it's not crazy. These guys are going to have huge weeks. Yeah, and I did that about 10 years ago at the 2-3 turn with Dallas Clark and Antonio Gates once. And oh, it did not go goodness. the same. It did not go as positively for me. because well, they were old eight years ago. You know, it sounded good at the time. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. You get such a positional advantage when you take one of these guys because, I mean, there's no more streaming tight ends. You know every week you have the better tight end than the other guy unless, of course, they have the other one. But let's move on from these one, two, 
this one-two punch to the 3-4. Consensus 3-4 is Mark Andrews of the Baltimore Ravens at number three and Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles at number four. And in mock drafts and in ADP, they're basically right next to each other. So which one of these two guys stands out to you as the better, if either one actually stands out, or is it just a coin flip? To me, it's Ertz more because he got like the same targets as Kelsey. Kelsey, 136. Ertz, 135. That's a lot of volume in a tight end. He didn't do as much with his targets. Uh, but I think that offense is going to be a little bit better this year. And he, I don't think he's going to surpass Kelsey, but that makes him a very eligible number three in my book. I'm not looking at Mark Andrews too much. I love Mark Andrews. Is, he's is so this, TD heavy, though. Is this yeah, a man, you're TD so, you're so wrong here. It is could, it because you it, had him last year? That is a huge part of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he came out of nowhere and showed his relevance, but yeah, that is a big part because he was so crucial to my team. And you think he's going to get 10 TDs again this year? More. It, in, in a team, I mean, unless Des Bryant's there, I guess. <laughs> I will say, I will say his, his targets, his TDs, his yardage, everything kind of puts him right there at four. So I don't think he's ranked wrong. I just don't think he's the same tier as Ertz. I think he's, he's a step under Ertz, and I think that's right. Here's how I look at it. Jackson, I feel like, is going to run a little bit less. They're going to throw a little bit more. And the fact that they don't have those big wide receivers even if it's just a 50-50 ball, he's going to be the guy he's looking for, as well as he's probably going to run more routes because now he's established. He showed it last year that he's very capable. And then, my God, in the red zone, who else are you going to be looking for? So I, I uh, would Des think Bryant, probably. If that happens, we might have a different conversation. <laughs> but I think he's going to get plenty of touchdowns, plenty of red zone looks. I think he's going to be even more incorporated into the route running this year now that they know what they have. And I, I, and also Ertz has Goddard with there. And I, I'm not saying that's going to take away from his value, but they don't have to rely on Ertz as much. So that's why I like Andrews a lot this year. Baltimore threw the ball to their tight ends 42% of the targets last year, which is number one in the NFL. The Eagles threw it to their tight ends 39% of the time, which was number two in the NFL. So the Eagles and Ravens, historically historically being last year like to throw the ball to their tight ends mark andrews does not have hayden hurst there anymore which is a positive but zach ertz has proven it with volume over and over and over if you want to get a further breakdown i wrote an article the case for each one of these guys in a segment i call time to choose and i break down the pros the cons of andrews and ertz and which ones all the relevant topics that you could have have for these guys so you can make the choice between the two Good and bad. So go to chumpschampspodcast.com to find that article. Boom shakalaka. Let's move on. <laughs> After those top four, those are like unanimously across, you know, fantasy groups as the top four tight ends this year. After that, the chumps have number five, Darren Waller, number six, Tyler Higby, number seven, Evan Ingram, and number eight, Hunter Henry. Now, out of that group, guys, is there a standout to you that you are targeting if you have to pick out of that group? I think we've touched on it in previous casts a lot, but I'll reiterate a lot. The Evan Ingram upside is enormous. If he's healthy and on the field, I, I'm just not crazy about their wide receiver core, and I think he could be kind of the not the number one guy there, but very... Very relevant when it comes to how many targets he gets and his touchdown potential. And he's shown that when he's on the field, he's just not on the field enough. So, my God, if he's on the field for 16 games and you get him, you know, where he's going in drafts, that could be a huge steal. Yeah, I'm not going to reiterate what he just said about Evan Ingram. I think he's a great pick here with tons of upside. Um, the other ones in this tier, I am struggling to get excited about any of them. Darren Waller, Higby, Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, that offense, I am scared for. Higby, yeah. I don't know why. Higby was really effective. They're going to run more 12 personnel. Um, and Waller was like that cool like breakout last year um, with the whole uh, 
hard knocks, whatever, uh, and he actually kind of paid off. What do you What are you guys excited more about, Waller or Higby? I'm more excited about Higby um, because when they ran the 12 personnel, he was outstanding, and you got to think that they're not going to shy that much away from. Maybe not do it as often like they did for the last six games of the year last year, but that was outstanding from Tyler Higby. Darren Waller, I wonder how much of Darren Waller's success last year was because of circumstance that were around the then Oakland Raiders. If you remember, at the beginning of the year, Antonio Brown was supposed to be the guy. And then he didn't play a single snap for them. And then they were like, oh, God, what do we do now? So Darren Waller stepped up. They didn't have a single (laughs) other great wide receiver there. Now there's rugs there. People have figured out what Waller can do. Josh Jacobs is emerging and is going to have a second-year, I think, breakout. I don't know if they're going to need Darren Waller to do what Darren Waller did last year. Does that make any sense? No, I agree there. I'm yeah, I'm not getting that excited about Waller. Higby, I can see the upside, but I'm not just I'm just not drafting where these guys are going off the board. When when the top tight ends are gone and then these guys are going, I'm like, nah, I'm waiting on tight ends for some of these guys we're gonna talk about later. Yeah, is that the is that the takeaway from this little mini segment, Scott? Is that there is the top four. Then there is this middle section where you're going to have to take them at the same time as valuable wide receivers and running backs. And then there's a group of flyers that are still just as valuable that you should wait for. Yeah, the only way, and I've done a bunch of mock drafts, and I've gotten Higby and Ingram quite a few times. And the only reason is they've dropped. They dropped like. and then they're valuable. Right? Yeah. And at that point, their upside is totally worth it. And it's only because I look at, at that point, the wide receivers and the running backs that are left, I've probably already got a quarterback. And I don't see anybody in those other positions that I'm excited about. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I'll take an Evan Ingram with his huge upside at this point in my seventh or eighth round when I've already got three, four running backs and a handful of receivers, whatever the case is, to where I feel like his value far exceeds any of the other positions at that point. So after those eight, we have, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty that goes around. For instance, number nine, Rob Gronkowski for us. Tied for 10th is Jerry Cook and Hayden Hurst. And then you got Austin Hooper. You got John U. Smith, Hawkinson, Fant. Is there any of these guys that I just named that you guys are eyeballing? And you can get these guys late in drafts. Matt, I know you've got one that you keep on slamming in mock drafts. Why don't you tell us about them? Uh, yeah, you said there's a lot of uncertainty here, but what's uncertain about Hayden Hurst? I don't know. I just threw him in there with the rest of the group. <laughs> no, I get it. He's on a new team, but luckily that new team is Atlanta with Hooper gone. You read off the stats earlier for which team targets their tight ends the most. You don't have to bring it back up, but it, Atlanta has to be up there. They like their tight ends. Matt Ryan's still going to throw a tight end. They're going to be pass heavy. They're going to they sling the ball all over the field in Atlanta, and Hurst is. First-round talent when he was drafted. He's in his third year this year, and that is the prime year for tight ends in the NFL to break out. I think just in such a great situation, I can't pass him up at this point on the draft board. Like, who are the defensive eyes going to be on in the Atlanta offense? Julio Jones. Oh, yeah. that, Calvin Ridley. So that leaves a lot of space for Hayden Hurst. I think the Falcons threw the ball the most, like 680-something times last year. So that, the pie, even if he gets a smaller target share than, say, Andrews or Ertz, the pie is just bigger anyway. So smaller portion, but still it's more valuable. Scott, what do you think out of this group of, well, I don't know, tight end? I'll be honest, the more Matt talks about him, the more I like Hurst. Um, Matt, so he, you're going to have to take him earlier. He's, <laughs> got, he, he's done well on selling me on him. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I am. Like I said earlier, with the risk in Evan Ingram, I am more than willing to take the risk on Rob Gronkowski this year. Agreed. Yeah, he's had a year to, I mean, in football terms, have his body heal, whatever you want to say. He's still with Tom. He's in a very unbelievable offense with the receiving core, which means, my God, who are they going to cover? And let's be honest, 
I think Tom is going to look for him because that's his favorite boy. Especially in the red zone. Do not try to tell me that he's going to look for anyone else but Rob Gronkowski when they're inside the 10. What is scary, though, is he he was listed in our uh, hottest guys of 2020 as a creeper. And creepers are guys we really like in fantasy this year, but they keep creeping up the draft board. And he is like we have him ranked at nine, which I think is appropriate given the risk of the new situation and everything going on. I'm seeing an ADP of seven of him right now, and seven is pretty high if you ask me. Um, but man, there's a lot of upside there. So here's how I've seen him go with a lot of my mock drafts. So once the main guys are out, obviously the top four, then the Waller and Higby and Ingram, those guys are gone. Gronk seems to slide down a little bit, but it's to the point where... Again, I'm definitely not excited about either of the other like wide receiver or running backs because I have several. And at that point, I love him there because not only am I not excited about another position, but at that point, I'm still looking at talent that I could stream if something happens to him. And I don't feel like it's a bust of a pick because he's low enough to where if something does happen, then you're just streaming tight ends like you may otherwise be. But you drafted Great. him low enough to where it's not going to kill your team that year. Yeah. And that's why I think I love him as long as he doesn't keep creeping up my draft board. But also yeah. in this <laughs> tier, you mentioned a guy that we all we know the champs have been big on is Johnny Smith. Oh. Um, I'd like to say my piece on him, but Dana, I want to let you do that. because oh, yeah. I'll, I'll lead us off. Johnny Smith <laughs> is an insane athletic freak. And in the Tennessee Titans offense, I think obviously it runs through Derrick Henry and you've got emerging star A.J. Brown. I think Ryan Tannehill is targeting Jonu Smith in the red zone, and I think he's going to be his second read after A.J. Brown, which makes complete sense. Yes, the volume is lower in Tennessee. I think they threw the ball like the second least amount of times only to Baltimore. But Jonu Smith is the next guy. I think the only valuable assets in Tennessee from a receiving standpoint, are A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith. You can get Jonu Smith. His ADP is like the 17th tight end off the board. You can get him absolutely dirt cheap. Like, it just means it yeah. make, his upside is enormous. For and only ask him about Corey Davis, Danny. <laughs> yeah, come on, Danny. <laughs> oh but no, uh, being Titans fans, we've seen Jonu Smith when he's on the field and when he's producing... Um, and he is talented. And one thing that might not look right with his stats, like his first, I think this is his fourth year's first three years, is he like hasn't done a lot. But this is the first year he's not contending at all with Delaney Walker. Injuries or anything aside, like Johnny Smith is the man now. And Tennessee has, all their moves have said, yes, you are the man at tight end here. So I really like his fit in the offense going forward. Let's be honest, before Walker got hurt, how much of a stud was he in drafts? So, yeah. like you said, now that you're not competing, I mean, that just opens the window for him to step in and just take over that role and be one of those top five or six guys. One more guy I wanted to talk about, I know, Matt, you'd like to touch a little bit on, is Blake Jarwin. You're starting to grow on the Dallas Cowboys tight end, Blake Jarwin. What do you like about him? He's going even further back than Janu. Yeah, I, he's growing on me is what I say. I, don't, I haven't taken him in any mocks or anything yet, and that's probably good because he's staying low on the draft boards. But uh, just seeing the target show that's been vacated there in Dallas yeah, and uh, what he could do and apparently what his talent level is, I'd like to see a little bit more, but I'm getting interested. If I lose out on a lot of these late tight ends that I like, which there are a few more than I'm going to name after this, but... Uh, I'm not going to be afraid to grab him and see what that upside is and maybe just work the stream if I have to after that. Yeah, at that point, what do you have to lose? Exactly. So, Matt, who are some of these other names that you're looking at in this late round range then? We kind of glazed over a few. I'll, I'll say that there are some that I'm just not very interested in this year, and that's Hooper, Gesicki. Uh, Hooper, he's out of Atlanta now, and Atlanta is the reason I like Hearst as much as I do. So Hooper being gone... And he's contending with Najoku now. Meh. Um, Gaseki, I guess it's it's better in Miami now because they've had some people opt out. But yeah. I, I don't like it still. I don't. Eh, sour taste. Uh, Goddard, don't like his Ertz is there. But then we get down to Fant and Hawkinson, which I th- I'm pretty interested in both these guys and both of them uh, same draft class from the same team. Um, 
I guess they're only in their second year this year, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, correct. But, and like I said, maybe it takes a third year for some guys, but both these guys are so talented in great situations that I think they could have huge years this year. I think Hawkinson looked great last year before he had that weird back injury or whatever, getting flipped over. And Fant's offense is Bummer. just... Yeah. Fant's off, offense just looks great this year. So for how late they're going, they have a lot of upside. Yeah, and there's things to like from either one of those guys from last year. And Noah Fant played on 68% of the snaps for Denver last year. And for a rookie tight end, that's really good. It's not bad. And then TJ Hawkinson had 59 targets in 12 games played. That's also really good for a rookie tight end. So they obviously like him. Scott, what are your emotions? I mean, we're talking about taking them... Far enough down to where, let's be honest, that's going to be your what round pick. I mean, goodness, fourth. you're talking like double digits. Yeah, the fourth round, yeah, yeah like thirteenth, <laughs> yeah. So if you're taking them that late, if they don't show up in the first couple weeks, oh darn, drop them and pick up somebody that's still sitting there because again, at that point, if they haven't shown you, then you're again playing the waiver wire like you would have been doing. Any other reason if you didn't get one of the top guys? You, you look for the upside. If it's not there, you try to get another guy with upside after that. There are two more guys that I just want to throw out there before we finish up on tight ends. And their situations aren't great, but I think they have the potential. Eric Ebron in Pittsburgh. I actually think the situation's pretty good. I just don't know what's going to happen there. He's shown flashes in the past, especially in fantasy. So maybe if you're going real late. Then the whole Chris Herndon thing is always still interesting. Ugh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, Maybe, yeah, pick him up. There's no way he goes in any drafts, so don't draft him. But keep your eye on him. Yeah, see, Eric Ebron, I believe if Eric Ebron is available and I'm thinking about him at the very, very end of like deep leagues, then I'm pretty sure Blake Jarwin will still be there too. And mm-hmm. I would much rather have Blake Jarwin than Eric Ebron. Who would you take between those two? See, all of a sudden I started thinking about like, okay, so what kind of wide receivers are in both those situations? And both Pittsburgh and Dallas have some impressive wide receiver cores. So I guess I still lean a little bit more towards Jarwin. I don't know. Only thinking about what team relies on their tight end more. I mean, you had Witten in Dallas for so many years. In Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. we haven't had that guy that's been like, they get, so you think that maybe you just got to go based on history and what they like Witten to incorporate. Witten had 83 targets last year. Last year. That's post-retirement. Wow. What? Like, eight, that's a lot of targets for that, that guy. One guy, before we move on, we didn't even say Jared Cook's name. Jared Cook caught a touchdown pass on, like, every single reception that he had <laughs> last year. I think it was close to 20% of his receptions went for touchdowns. Why aren't we, like, what do we think about Jared Cook? Like, he's around that 10 range for tight ends. Matt, would you take Jared Cook or Hayden Hurst? You love Hurst, but Cook's with Breeze and has that connection. I don't know. That's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> no, you have to answer right now. This, yeah, goes all the way, this goes all the way back to the St. Louis Rams days when Jared Cook was, like, a <laughs> hot tight end pickup they had that just didn't do much for us. Uh, so, Hayden Hurst, you can say it. But, man, I like the offense uh, for New Orleans. I think I'm still Hayden Hurst there. I love the upset. Yeah, it's the same for me, Scott. Mm, I do have Cook higher right now. But, again, I haven't adjusted these recently, and I'm mm-hmm. bigger on Hurst. Like I said, mostly because of Matt. So yeah, Matt's very persuasive. He really is with this Hayden Hurst talk. And the fact that we saw him go very early in one of our, in our uh, podcasters draft, Makes me think he might be on to something. Mm. So I think I might switch that to go Hurst first. <laughs> I just want all of you guys to take Hurst so I can gobble up Cook and Hooper afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, but one, I guess I keep saying one more, one more, Danny. Mm-hmm. But uh, you mentioned with Dallas, uh, Jason Witten not being there anymore. He's a Raider now, I believe. Does that hurt Darren Waller's uh, value? I spoke a little negatively of Darren Waller, so you know I'm all about adding things to the list. <laughs> so, and I liked, I've got Darren Waller as my fifth tight end, but this goes back to what we said at the beginning of the segment, which was after those top four, Waller falls into that dead zone for me of he's going to go way higher than I feel comfortable taking him, and I'm just unsure about it. So he'll be on exactly zero of my teams. 
So sure, why not throw Jason Witten on the on the fire of <laughs> I don't care about Darren Waller. Is that fair? Is that rude? That seems really aggressive. I agree. I, I will not be drafting Darren Waller, but I also won't be surprised if he has a nice fantasy year, just like last year. So yeah, he'd have to drop pretty low, and he's not going to. So yeah, let's take a break here. After now that we're done with our tight ends, and when we come back on the Chumps and Champs Fantasy Football Podcast, we're going to talk about kickers and defenses and the right way to go about them for your draft and for your league. So stick around, champs. Welcome back, everybody, to the Chumps of Champs Fantasy Football Podcast, episode 19. And we just got done talking about tight ends and the consensus rankings for us. We're moving on now to the kickers and defense. Oh, yeah. The real league winners in the kickers and the defense. Uh, A lot of people don't even pay attention to kickers and defenses before draft time, but there are some tricks on how to optimize that position. So let's let's start with the kickers. It seems like there is a group of three kickers in 2020 that go off the board first, and those are Will Lutz of the Saints, Justin Tucker of the Ravens, and Harrison Butker of the Chiefs. Now, I realize those... you said Will Lutz first. I Even did. He, he's I ranked did. third in that group. Yeah. Um, was in, some... my, in, my consent, in my rankings, Will Lutz is number one now. Okay. So the, the four things that I look for in a kicker, are are they a good kicker? Are they on a good offense? Do they play in the dome? And do they have my last name? And <laughs> Will Lutz t- checks off all four of those boxes. My God. What do yeah, you guys... I'm, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. I'll, I'm similar, Danny. There's some top-tier kickers that I'm just going to be gung-ho for if they're available super late in draft, no matter what. And that's Tucker, Butker, Lutz. But look at their offenses. They're all incredible offenses. The three best offenses <laughs> yeah. in the NFL. Which I think right there points, yes, you have to be a competent kicker, but it depends on how good your offense is. And yes, after that, I, I do like to look at if they're a dome kicker. There, there's some credence to say, like, you want a, a kicker from the northern states or the southern states when it gets down into winter and all that kind of stuff. But worry about that later in your season. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I've never thought um, about that a day yeah. in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, after, after I look at how good the offense is, and then if they're a dome kicker, it, it kind of gets down into... Am I allowed to go deeper, Danny, yet? Go. Um, yeah, you can start naming names. <laughs> some guys I like a lot this year, like Young Hoku. Uh, I've talked a lot about Atlanta. I like Hayden Hurst there. I like Gurley there because I think this offense is going to be on fire, and an offense on fire is going to score points, and when you score points, you're kicking field goals a lot of the time, which I guess kind of lends myself to my next point is you want a good offense, but you want an offense that can, kind of falters in the red zone at times, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> so, a perfect balance. Great <laughs> offense until you get inside the 15. It's hard to predict, but uh, I'm definitely, when you get down in these rounds, I'm not taking people like Chris Boswell that have to kick outdoors in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, I think, goes for two a lot, too. Yeah, out of like, nowhere, the score's 8 nothing, and you're like, you got to be kidding me, guys. <laughs> but yeah, I'll skip Boswell. I'll go for somebody like uh, Bailey or Fairburn or whatever, um, somebody who's in a controlled atmosphere and a, a good offense. I'm going to go that route. Scott, what do you think when it comes to kickers? Do you have a strategy that you go for at draft night? I really don't. It becomes one of those issues of kind of similar to what I was saying with the tight ends. If you reach a point where you're a couple rounds from the end, because I obviously I'm not going to take a kicker more than a couple rounds before the end of the draft. But if you reach a point where you've got your starting quarterback, your starting tight end, four or five running backs, four or five receivers, something like that, and one of those top kickers is still left, that's when the value hits for me. That's where I'd go Tucker, Butker, Lutz, one of those guys. But like you said, after that point, it's similar to a defense where you're just streaming of, I'm looking for an offense, I'm looking for a matchup. You're playing a decent team but I think you're going to still be in the red zone a lot to kick field goals. And it becomes a little bit of strategy. Like you said, 
I'm not looking for the best kicker. I'm looking for the best matchup at that point. Yeah, the situation. Do, exactly. Do either of you guys absolutely hate if you have one of those top tier kickers having to carry two kickers on a bye week? Oh, it's the worst. <sighs> yes. I don't know if I've ever done that. <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I've been. In so if you drafted Justin you Tucker, you would drop a kicker, or sorry, you would drop Justin Tucker on his bye week. I guess I've to... never had Justin no. Tucker type guy. Well, that's I've the never thing is, had to do that. No, I don't. I find by that point in the year, usually I'm like frustrated with a position player enough to where I'm looking to dump him off anyway. And keep retaining Justin Tucker is good enough yeah. reason to dump whoever it is. Uh, Joyke Bell back in the days, like that kind of guy. <laughs> my problem is I'm, I'm popping in. Like I have one or two spots on my bench in any league where I'm popping in waiver wire free agent guys that have upside and, Probably aren't going to pan out, but I'm going to hold them this week, see what happens, and then next week I'll drop them and do the same thing. So if I use one of those spots for a kicker, I'm going to be beating myself with some handcuff just exploded that I was eyeing up grabbing. Uh, what I like to do is uh, if I get offered any trades, like midseason or so, from a team, and they're not really fair. Nobody ever offers you fair trades, let's be honest. <laughs> if, they, if they are carrying one of those uh, Justin Tucker's or Buckers, like a lot of times, if you just say like, "Okay, I'll do your trade if we trade kickers," also like tack on, you give me Tucker, I'll give you Young Hoku, who's been productive this year. But I have Tucker going down the stretch for the playoffs now, and he's past his bye week. I don't have to worry about any of this shit. So that's kind of what I like to do. Um, not saying it's going to work to your benefit or not. Should I read in the fact that the most trade offers I've gotten in Frederick League were from you, Matt? Uh, I think after the Lutz Tucker Bucker, I'm looking at my own rankings. I actually put Greg Zerline and Matt Prater in the next second tier. Greg Zerline plays in a dome, Matt Prater plays in a dome, and they both play for potentially Super Bowl winning teams than Dallas Cowboys and Detroit Lions. Yeah. I mean, we can all agree on that concept, right, Scott? Again, it's kickers, though, so really it's not very relevant in terms of we'll see. We'll see. If I don't get one of the top three, and unless, like, I have Young Hoku and he just takes off and nonstop production, I'm going to be streaming, and I'm going to like indoor matchups. I'm going to like favorable uh, defensive matchups, everything like that. So, yeah, it's going to be a stream game. Well, I prefer to just eliminate the kickers altogether and then add a flex spot. But if you're going to play with kickers, here is your reminder that every week, check the weather in the location of the game if it's an outdoor game. You do not want players kicking in 20-mile-an-hour winds or a blizzard or things like that, no matter how good they are. There's just too many variables that make kickers lucky to, for my liking. There's nothing more frustrating when you didn't realize your kicker was in Chicago and there's a snowstorm going on and you realize, oh, sweet Jesus, there's four inches of snow on the field. They're not going to kick a single thing this game, and that is a absolute goose egg, and you can chalk it up in the first three minutes of the game. Or the field goal posts are waving, <laughs> and you're like, there's no chance they're going to they're kick this. Yeah. Let's move on to defenses, though. Similar boat as kickers with the variability and at times randomness. But what do you guys look for in a defense come draft time? Because right in front of us, we've got consensus rankings. And if you guys are like me, when you write your rankings, you are not basing it off of who's got a great playoff schedule or who's got a great first couple of weeks. I'm doing my base off of the defensive, like, teams for the entire stretch of the year but is that how you draft no you should draft well unless you're getting a top tier i guess defense that you you are a person who wants to hold on to them for the whole season you should draft for early season matchups and stream from there i will be staunch on that point (laughs) so who are the uh, elite teams and if you're going to saddle your horse that's not the that's not the phrase is it saddle your wagon to a horse then what horse would it be in 2020? That's correct. Hitch your wagon to a horse. Well, what did I say? Sad? I say saddle again? Yeah, you don't saddle a wagon. That doesn't make I sense. I don't at understand all. horses. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you, what, how you about do this? saddle a horse, you hitch a wagon. Hey, how about this? Matt, what, what, what football teams do you like this year? <laughs> well, uh, 
what's interesting is like, yeah, the top ranked are like the Niners, the Steelers, the Ravens, the Bills, uh, the Patriots. And that's cool. What bothers me about that is that they have some of the best early season matchups. Like I'm looking at one in weeks one and two usually. Buffalo has a great week one and two against Sam Jaran. Look at Buffalo Jets in Miami. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> but then it's like, I wish that was a crappier defense that I could just pick yeah. up late in the draft against Jets in Miami. Mm-hmm. And then you got New England against Miami and I have Seattle's. Seattle could be tough, but Miami week one, great. Baltimore, Ravens, New England, Steelers, Bills, and yeah, the Yeah, they all, yeah, decent early season matchups. I guess the guys that I'm starting to target are like, I guess this is a homer pick, but Tennessee has pretty good early season uh, against Denver and Jacksonville. Um, Pittsburgh. Well, they're up there. They have good early season matchups. Chicago is falling a little bit in the drafts. They have great early season matchups. The Colts. Colts start in Jacksonville and sorry, Scott, I don't mean yeah. to rag on your team, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> like I said, they, they start in Jacksonville, but I like to look a couple weeks in because I don't Minnesota's like defense to... is not going to be as powerful. Well, wait, defense mm. offense is not that high power. What is what is neat about that is if you ride Indy through the second week and week three, they have Jets. So you have Jacksonville, Minnesota, New York Jets. I kind of like that too. So yeah, it's not a bad one, Danny. So my whole strategy with defenses comes down to, I know I sound like a bit of a broken record here with tight ends and kickers, but if I see one of the top guys that have, or top teams, I guess at that point that have value and I'm not excited about another position, that's when I'm going to take one of the top notch defenses just based on talent because they are one of the best defenses. And then Because I'll be honest, a lot of times I have two defenses on my team and I'm dropping one and switching one because I have one talented defense, but every once in a while, I don't like their matchup. So I'm going to play the stream of that week, I guess you could say, and then drop them, but still keep the talented defense for the best weeks. That's kind of how I approach it if I can get one of those better defenses as a whole, I guess you could say. That, I will do that about midseason if I don't have a crowded bench. Um, and I have a, a couple defenses that really have that complimentary week-to-week matchup. Like, oh, my God, I want this guy week yeah. eight, this guy week nine, this guy week ten, and then this guy for the playoffs. It's like, wow, I'll roster him for like four weeks, both of them. Cut the one that I don't want for the playoffs at that point. So I don't think it's a worse thing midseason to have a couple defenses as long as you've thought it through. Yeah, and as long as you are in the running for playoffs too, if you need to swing for the fences because you're sitting there at, you know, four and five, you probably need some home run hitters that are not defensive teams to look for. You can't you can't win in the playoffs unless you make it to the playoffs. But yeah, if you're sitting pretty and you're looking like you're going to be making the playoffs, I love Matt's strategy of getting a couple of defenses that have great complementary schedules. Um, this year in the COVID 2020, where I know as of right now, the NFL teams are allowed to dictate how many fans are allowed in their stadiums, but it's going to be a reduced amount, if any. So is this a weird year where home field advantage means far less? Like when you're looking at defensive schedules and they're at wherever, or they're versus whoever, like, do you know what I mean? Or, or does that matter to you guys this year? Or is it the same as it always has been? I think football is a little bit different than other sports because it's a very split situation of outdoor, indoor, uh, and regional like climates and all that kind of stuff. With hockey and basketball, you're always indoor. Baseball, you don't have near as much indoor um, as you do in football. So it's a really big divide i think so i think home field still does lend a bit of an advantage but not as much as it would with fans i would agree to the fact of the like you said the climate and the physical conditions you're playing in however obviously noise is taken completely out of it and they all like to say how seattle is the loudest stadium and everything like that so that's a 12th player Right, exactly. I feel like that definitely takes away from the stadiums where you have a huge turnout that the crowd makes so much noise, like Jacksonville, for example. That was 
That was a joke, and nobody. Oh, yeah. oh I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But I think it, I think it does, it does hurt you with home field advantage when it comes to that aspect, unless they somehow allow seems to pump in crowd noise in certain situations would be, but that would be nonsense. Yeah. And I think you guys have probably noticed from our most recent mock drafts that well, like the chumps are in, I think consensus of kickers and defense instead of taking them in their last two rounds, just move them up one more spot. Cause then maybe you can get the little bit higher tier of either one of those positions and then take your flyer last Have a list of flyer wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks, whoever they are, a deep list of players you're willing to take a shot at and then move the kickers and defense up one round because you're probably going to get a higher tier kicker or defense. Do you guys agree? Yeah, it depends on how deep your league is. But in a standard league, what like normal positions, six bench spots, I think 12th round is when I'm kind of looking at it like, man, some of these big names are still on the board at either kicker or defense. And you're in the 12th round. Pull the That's trigger. Fun. Pull the trigger. Yeah, I think a little bit, a little bit depends on your circumstance. If you're like, oh, that's a flyer I wanted. He's not going to be here next round. Then go ahead, take your flyer then, and then get your kicker defense last. But if it's one of those where you know they're probably not going to get taken, then absolutely get the better defense and kicker. Don't be the guy that takes their defense in the seventh round. Don't be the guy that takes Justin Tucker in the fifth round. Do yeah. not oh fill out God. your starting lineup as if that is important. First of all, if, if you're the guy who takes Justin Tucker in the fifth round, you're not listening to this podcast right yeah. now, so yeah. you're okay. <laughs> well, maybe you were until you hear us say don't. Trump said don't. <laughs> Well, that's episode 19, everybody. The tight ends, kickers, and defenses have been covered, and that actually concludes the, the rankings shows that we have. So from Aww. here on... Oh, man. I think we'll have a couple more episodes with some value like Sleeper and stuff like that, maybe another mock. Um, but then we get into the real cool, uh, I guess, uh, waiver wire episodes, the start-sit episodes, the in-season stuff that is really just going to get fast-paced mm, and yeah. exciting. And, the uh, best owner time. Yeah. Oh, oh. It's going to be amazing. But go to chumpsofchampspodcast.com, finding our rankings, articles, past shows. Uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us there. Like and share our stuff on Facebook. Thanks a lot, everyone, for sticking around. We will see you next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you, fellas.